Good morning, everyone. This is uh, Jim Barton, and I'm here with... Reverend Abigail Conley. And we're here with another episode of Bloody Mary Bible Brunch. And today we're doing another episode that has to do with competing philosophies in the Bible, competing answers in the Bible to uh, particularly important questions. And um, the question that we're going to tackle is, how does one achieve atonement? Or what is the source of atonement? So... um, First off, um, this is an idea that really comes directly out of the Old Testament. And so we wanted to explore a little bit about what the Old Testament has to say about atonement and where that idea comes from. And I have a JD and Abby has an MDiv, so I'm going to let her start with what's going on with atonement in the Old Testament. Um, so where it comes up most often is cultic sacrifice at the temple. This is part of the culture that in order to atone, you have to sacrifice X animal. And, and saying cultic, by the way, is not pejorative. Right. No. This, yeah. this is just the way we talk about it, um, mm-hmm. because it is a sacred cult. Um, and so there has to be an animal some way offered. And so once a year, um, as the Day of Atonement comes around, there's a sacrifice offered for the community. If you're going to ordain priests, you sacrifice an animal every day. And all of that is understood as atoning for the sins of the community. Um, in some way, maybe personal sins, and there are a few things that um, you offer smaller sacrifices through to, at the altar, uh, at the temple through the year, if you commit. Um, it's distinct from the idea of cleanliness, though, right? Like, there's an idea of ritual being ritually unclean, and then you become ritually clean. Mm-hmm. The idea of atonement is, is at least somewhat distinct from that. Right. Um, and ritual cleanliness is usually... If you just wait it out, it gets better. So you might need to go wash yourself, you might need to do this, but atonement, you've at least done something that requires a blood sacrifice. Right, because you can be ritually unclean. Sex makes you ritually unclean. Mm -hmm. Having a menstrual cycle makes you ritually unclean. There's all kinds of things that, like, are ordinary and good and expected that you do. Handling a body, burying a body makes you ritually... All these things make you ritually unclean. You need that. Atonement, it's it's a different... It's this... There is, in fact, a sin that has happened. Right. Um, and there is then some, and it's communal. I think is the other thing when you talk about Day of Atonement and those things. That is a communal practice, not just an individual practice. Um, the term scapegoat comes from the Old Testament. That you know we're going to cast out this animal from our community for this sin and send it in the desert to die. And so all of that is very, very much part of their practice. It is worth noting that we don't know, or I don't know. I'm sure there are rabbis who would know the theology behind that and why you do that and how you do that. Partly because the rabbis, the Judaism that we know, doesn't have a temple practice. The temple was destroyed years ago. There's no way to practice sacrifice if you don't have a temple at which to sacrifice. And I mentioned how, you know, when we look in the criminal justice system and we talk about justification for criminal law in American uh, criminal justice, we say we identify several purposes behind it. One of them is incapacity. Sometimes um, the criminal justice person, the criminal justice system, makes it incapable for the person to commit the crime away. Again, so you you incarcerate someone because now they can't go murder anyone, right? There's also idea of rehabilitation. It's kind of out of vogue right now, but there is an idea that maybe if somebody commits a crime, we want to make them get better. We treat them in a way that makes it better. Deterrence is an idea that the idea is that you're going to dissuade people from committing crimes because they know they'd be punished. And then the last way is 
um, retribution, which is, that's like the weirdest one, which is that there's like this criminal debt that has to be paid. There's some debt to society. And that's the language people use when they talk about getting out of prison. I paid my debt. I've done my time, right? That's the idea there's this imbalance that has to be restored. And then the last thing, which is not really our criminal justice system, which is our tort system, which is that we're going to restore the parties to order. So, so we don't usually do that with, with, uh, with criminal justice. We usually do that with our civil system. But that's what the American law system does. And if we had to pick one of those that would go into this system, what you just said is, we're not really sure. Right. We know what they did, because that's in the Bible. But just like our, our law books don't say, you know, six to ten years for, you know, uh, grand larceny because you know, the first six is for retribution and the last four is for deterrent. You know, it, it's not in there. Okay, so we got some inspiration for sure out of the Old Testament, and then we come forward to the New Testament, and there's this idea that Christ is our source of atonement. Right. And I would say somehow that Christ reconciles us to God. And the first thing we have to name is that for Christians, the problem is sin, and there has to be a way to deal with that sin. Yeah. And so how we choose to talk about that sin might inform how we talk about atonement. Um, is it that at the fall that we talk about in Genesis when people were kicked out of the garden, that um, that is the point at which humanity was doomed? And so is it that then there is a debt to be paid? Mm-hmm. And so we have to worry about that debt in some way? You know, I talk about it with Augustine, that there is disordered loves, that before that time we knew we were supposed to love God first and the world second, and once you're outside the garden, those things flip. Right. And so you need some way... To, to reorder, to, reorder to get them back. And you, and you told me that the at one meant which seems ridiculously juvenile to me. I was like, before, as we were prepping, I was like laughing at how dumb that is, but it turns out... It turns out that that is actually a very accurate way of understanding that word. How does this make us at one with God, um, rather than somehow in debt? And it was invented for that purpose, the word. Yes. Um, That is at least one thing that I was told by a seminary professor. I have only notes to back that up, (laughs) so... But anyway, the idea of coming back to oneness. Right. All right. So I'm going to just read the four main options, and then we can talk about where they come from, and and then we'll I'll let my biases out about at that time. The first idea is incarnation. That we that the mere fact of God becoming human atoned the sins of the world because the divine became human. So that's the manger scene. The life and teachings of Christ. So it is the what Jesus taught and said and Jesus' miracles and Jesus as an exemplar, that is the way that human beings are atoned, that can be atoned for their sins. The crucifixion is the source, and you have uh, some songs, I think, about with the blood. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know if we'll sing them today, but I mean, that's... Washed in the blood of the Lamb, you know, yeah, all sorts of things. Yes, so the blood sets us free. And then um, resurrection. It was the conquest over death. Um, that's that's the source of um, that's the source of atonement. Okay, so how do you want to handle these? You just want to sort of talk about where where we get each idea? Yeah. So let's start with um, incarnation. Um, if God becomes humans, human and dwells among us, there has to be something that transforms the world by doing that. Is one of the notions there? 
John especially as he talks through that opening passage in the beginning was the word the word was God the word was with God that very much points to no Jesus was always divine Jesus was always sent by God and so by Jesus just entering into the world humanity somehow becomes better reconciled to God and even in even in Matthew and Luke they take the time to provide this cosmic um, birth stories, right? And, and that that do sort of have this, whether it's you know Luke's you know angels um, singing to shepherds, or whether it's Mark's and the star. I mean, Matthew is a star leading him. That's the idea that something profound and cosmic happened when God became human. Right. Okay. All right. How about the life and teachings? Where do we get that from? So that is the bulk of the gospel stories, is Jesus' life and teachings and the stories around that. So the fact that the gospels feature prominently in um, Christian tradition is the primary reading for the day. When you look at lectionaries and those things, automatically centers us there right. in some way. And Jesus talks about, in according to the gospel authors, talks about this is, this is he's teaching them the way to the eternal life. Right. The kingdom is like this. Eternal life is like that. Right. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is uh, right here. And so my little cheeky answer as we were prepping was that if uh, the authors of Matthew and Luke and John came up with incarnation, and we're going to talk about Paul coming up with other things and Martin Luther coming up with other things, the idea that it would be the life and teachings of Jesus, that, that comes from Jesus. Yes, that is your cheeky answer. And you said you don't like that. I, I don't like that answer. I, I still feel that way a little bit. So you can tell which way you can tell which way I, which way I lean. All right, and then how about the crucifixion? Where do we get that from? So the crucifixion, which I think it is worth noting, would be what most Christians um, that we know of talk about as the point of salvation. Largely, that that comes from John, I think, um, because John says, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." Right. And that is something that has been incorporated into communion liturgy. We don't have a formal liturgy in our tradition, but the ones that do, that is in there. And so it very much and it's you know, a he, lamb yeah. resembling a sacrifice from the Old Testament. Right. He's not a lamb of God because he's a follower. Right. The, the significance of being a lamb of God is the thing that you cut open and put the right. blood on the altar and stuff. Right. Yeah. All right. And that... And that um, and, also, I think feel like Paul. That's very important for Paul, because Paul talks about the blood, and talks about, and this is where we get the idea of um, substitutional atonement, right? Which is the idea that Jesus steps in and takes the debts for us. Right. Um, okay. Just a, what was the lyrics of the song? You don't have to sing it. Um, the blood. Washed in the blood of the lamb. Yeah. I'm don't you have one where you, I'm washing the blood of the lamb? What's the one we like say blood over and over again? I don't. I don't know. That. You don't have one like that. Where I don't like, think so. Maybe that's from. Maybe that's from Jesus Camp. Okay. That, that's a. There's a documentary Jesus Camp. Right. I just have this. The blood. The blood. The blood. You know, that's not I don't. Part I don't of think it. that's from me. All right. Well, anyway, so that's a big popular motif. Mm-hmm. And then what about resurrection as the source of atonement? Um. So resurrection, obviously, multiple gospel stories tell us of an empty tomb. Mm-hmm. And so early on, Christians are writing as this is Christ's victory over even death. John Donne's holy sonnet, sonnet um, one of them, Death Be Not Proud, is that idea that Jesus played this mm-hmm. trick on death. And like, what are you talking about? There's no power here. As Protestants, Martin Luther especially emphasized this. Um, 
that we have an empty cross in our churches, mm-hmm. not a crucifix with Jesus on it. Right. Because the point is resurrection and that there is right. eternal life and this is what is coming later on. And Mark ends with an empty tomb as well. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. One of the, Another one for a cru- crucifix that we skipped was um, Matthew's um, The Curtain Tearing. Right. So... When Jesus dies, Matthew tells us that the curtain in the Holy of Holies in the temple tears in two. And um, that has very much been the idea then that at that moment there was a reconciliation to God. Because if there didn't need to be that division in the temple, then clearly the reconciliation had taken place. Right. Okay. So I tip my hand a little bit. About for me, it's the life and teachings. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, um, I I do like the um, imagery of some of the the I, I do like the cosmic imagery of, of that comes from some of the other, particularly the incarnation and the crucifixion, even the resurrection. I, you know, um, but the truth of it is, for me, I see the source of atonement as through learning to live in the way, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, there, there you are. But I, I'm, I, I am, I'm the, our, our straw man, uh, progressive Christian that gets nervous about things. That's like actually just me. Right. Like I get, I don't, I'm not being on miracles. It makes me uncomfortable. But anyway, so how about for you? What, which of these works for you? So I toss out crucifixion pretty easily. I uh-huh. think this is the end result of living a life. I think we've killed lots of people who challenge power, who taught profound things. Um, and Martin Luther King was. Martin Luther King died for the movement, mm-hmm. right? He put himself out over and over again, even when it became dangerous. But Martin Luther King's death was not necessary for the civil rights movement, right? And in Jesus' case, I believe, had he lived to ninety and died of old age, there yeah. still would have been resurrection. Mm-hmm. So for me, life and teachings matters. So does incarnation and resurrection. Yeah. And I think the thing that puts me in the nice liberal camp is the fact that. I don't actually care if you really believe Jesus was both human and divine or if you really believe Jesus was resurrected. I care about the ideas that we get from that. Yeah. And those claims from those stories are what matter to me, not the actual intellectual consent to those events. Yeah. So there's my own, like, oh, right. yeah, this, this is, this Where is my are. own wishy-washiness. Right. Well, you know, and I think it's, it's worth noting that, I, you know, this particular controversy I think is really important right now. In some, I mean, you know, there there are some people who would feel really uncomfortable, frankly, even worshiping with somebody who didn't believe in physical resurrection. They'd be like, "Well, that's the whole point. So how can I? How can you say we're even the same religion if you don't believe that?" And or perhaps virgin birth. You know, there are people that say, "Well, that's that's so. How can you? That's the whole essence. That's why you know." Um, but but it wasn't. It doesn't seem to be as explicitly a problem as it was. For the early church, right, circumcision gets way more talk mm-hmm. than um, what, how, the mechanism of atonement. Right, and I think in particular circles, each of those things would get talk. I think one of the things that actually, as progressive Christians, matters more is to say to people, "There's more than one way to think about this." Yeah, because crucifixion and Jesus died for my sins is so much the standard response and the standard understanding of Christianity. And that's, and we should, and I think that's right. I think that progressives should stand up for the fact we're not just, we're not less religious than conservatives. Mm-hmm. We're different. 
we right. have a different religion that we care about past, or a different, not the same religion, but a, a different theology that we care about as passionately. And so when I say that I believe that you achieve salvation through the teachings of Jesus Christ and living in the way, that's not softer or less Christian than saying, no, you do it by being bathed in the blood of the Lamb. Right. All right. All right, well, I think that's that's pretty good for... Um, oh, I'm sorry, did you have anything? No. All right, that's good for uh, this time, and uh, thanks for listening. Until next time, cheers.